Welcome to the Dulos Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the message. There's a lot of things as Christians when we, when we look through just what's happening. I mean, we've got an election um, that is probably going to even get worse the way that people view someone that doesn't agree with them or depending on which candidate you think's better, you know, all these sort of things. And you think of all that heading up to election day. And then if there's some kind of uh, controversy about how votes are counted, what that's going to look like, how long that's going to carry on throughout November, maybe even into December. But just all the stuff going on, you kind of look at our world today, and I think one of the best ways to describe it uh, is is landmines. Y'all know what a landmine is? All right, so when I went, the first time I went to Israel uh, was five years ago, actually five years ago next week, but why does that matter to you? Anyways, first time I went to Israel, uh, we went up to Caesarea Philippi, which is northern Israel, which if you look at a map, Israel's like more narrow towards the top, and when you get to the top, you have to its east, you have Jordan, okay? So, like, when you think of Paul and Damascus, Damascus is right over there. Syria's to the north, Lebanon's to the northwest. I mean, you're just a little bit away from Iraq and Iran. Like, it, it's, they're all right here together. And so, when you're in Caesarea Philippi, literally, you can see the Syrian border and you can see the Jordanian border. And so, from, the, from their independence war for Israel, uh, the Six-Day War, when they, when they had this and they took over the, the Golan Heights, um, there are these landmine fields that are still there to this day, and there's these big yellow signs that says, be careful, don't cross mines in area. And so we stopped the bus, and we're like, oh, hey, we're going to go over here. And I'm like, but there's literally a sign like that close to me that says there's landmines right here. Like this is not just, and when the best part is, is we're, we're there um, the first time we went and like army helicopters are landing over in there. And I'm like, where are we? Like this is my first time in the Middle East. I'm not too excited about it. Uh, the last time I was in Israel, this isn't connected, but just so you know, uh, was a week before we shot uh, Suleimani, if y'all remember that, in Baghdad. So, like, before we took him out, what kind of led to that was Israel had taken out a leader of Hamas, which is, you know, in the Gaza Strip, it's the anti-Israel people. And so, they shot him in his apartment, killed him. And so, everybody in the West Bank in Gaza, which is every side of Israel, I'm, we're over there on a trip, um, they decide they need to retaliate. So while we're there, they shot over 120 rockets like at us, which is kind of cool. Um, but what it, what's really cool, you can look this up on Twitter. Like you can see it. Um, if you look up the Iron Dome and you can see the Israeli missile defense, like so these missiles go in the air. And when you think of a missile defense system, you think of us like shooting down missiles, right? Like that's just what you imagine. So these missiles go up into the air, and as soon as they hit Israeli airspace, they just, they're gone. Like, you can see videos of it. It's crazy. But we're, we're sitting on top of a, 
of our hotel in Jerusalem, and you're just hearing bombs everywhere around you, all these rockets going off. Kind of cool. But anyways, so this is the, this is like, we are in, we're right next to Syria, Lebanon, and all these landmines around us, and I'm like, I'm, I've got to be careful where I step. And here's the way I look at this. We didn't actually go into the field that has it, thank the Lord, but we were right next to it. But in our world today, when you're thinking about what conversations you can just have with friends, not just on social media, but any of that, you look at stuff and you're like, man, everything is a landmine. Like, you know what's crazy to me? Prior to, honestly, I believe this year, it wasn't a landmine for a Christian to talk about something like abortion. Like somehow we've changed the narrative on abortion to, to, to make it be a political issue rather than it just being something about, listen, this is, this, is, this is a human life. Like we can all agree on that. And what's crazy to me, and, and I would just encourage you, like do your research on any of these topics or anything that you hear about and don't just go, oh, well, it kind of makes sense because I believe a woman should have a right to choose what she does with her body. I believe that too. It's not, a, it's not whether or not she can have a right to choose what she does with her body, it's whether or not she has the right to choose what she does with the body that's growing inside of her body. Like we have a, we, Everybody should have a right to life. And I'm not, I'm not getting political, but that's something that was never political. Like that wasn't something for Christians that we couldn't talk about because we believe in the right to life. And, and I know that we live in a society now, and some of you are like, man, I'm kind of mad that Matt said those things. Listen to me. We, we live in a society now where, where we use an argument against abortion. You go, oh, you say you're pro-life. I'm pro-life too, but I'm pro-life after someone's born. Okay. That doesn't make you any more or less pro-life than I am. And that's not a Republican-Democrat thing. That's not, oh, hey, this is what. No, listen, the giver of life is God, not any of us. Now, he he allows some things to happen biologically, like when a man and a woman, that's a discussion you can have with your parents. But like those things happen, but I believe that God's the one that gives life. God is the one who opens and closes wombs. That's the way scripture tells us. And so even in like the worst circumstances, life is always beautiful. And when you wanna, wanna come at someone and go, well, what if this person has has issues? What if this person is going to be um, handicapped? What are those things? You know, when my little sister was being born, my mom was 39 years old when she got pregnant. And my little sister, they told, they told my, my parents, like, hey, you are very high risk for this baby to, be, uh, to, to have Down syndrome. And you might want to consider terminating the pregnancy. Like, you, the, you're, you're old to have a baby. Like, you shouldn't do that. What if my parents would have decided that? Like, I, 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 think of, I think of people that have been through just terrible situations with teen pregnancies, and yes, they're tough, they're, they're difficult, it's hard. It, sometimes it came about as a, as a very bad situation, bad decisions. But that doesn't mean that you go, oh, well, I'm just gonna keep making bad decisions because that, that's gonna fix everything. That's not how it works. I know plenty of people that came out of terrible circumstances. You think of, if you really want to look at it, 
You really want to look at, at Scripture? Um, you know, like, I know people love to use the, the very small exception about, well, should a woman be able to get an abortion if she's been raped, right? Like, that's the, that's the thing we like to do. It's kind of like, like, we like to try to build entire rules based upon exceptions because it makes us feel good, and then we can get rid of the rule. So, like, does someone need to be baptized to be saved? Well, the Bible doesn't implicitly say that you have to be baptized, but the Bible shows a very strong pattern that if you're saved, you get baptized, right? Like, we can all agree on that. But you know what people like to do? Well, what if someone, what if someone accepts Christ, and then on their way to get baptized, they get in a car wreck and they die? What if someone decides on their hospital bed, and they literally cannot get baptized? Do they still go to heaven? Well, I would say, yeah, they, they probably do. But those are exceptions. I'm not gonna say no one needs to get baptized because there might be one person on a hospital bed. You see what I'm saying? You don't create rules because of exceptions. They're made to be exceptions to the rule. And sometimes there are bad circumstances. But let's look biblically. You remember what happened with King David? When all the kings are supposed to be off at war, is what it says, and King David's up on top of his palace, and he's looking down, and who does he see? He sees Bathsheba, one of his general's wives. And he goes, man, she's up here bathing. She looks pretty nice. He's the king. He can command anybody in his kingdom to do what he wants them to do. And so what does he do? Call her over here. We would probably call that rape. Like, if you really look at it. He calls her over. He has sex with her. What happens? Hey, uh, David, I, I think I'm pregnant. So what does he do? Well, I gotta, I gotta kill her husband and marry her so that no one knows what happens. He keeps making all these terrible decisions. But you know who that child was? It was King Solomon. Should we have lived without King Solomon? Should we live without the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomons? Like this, this, this person that came about because of a terrible situation, he shouldn't have ever existed because we need to care about Bathsheba. She has the right to choose, all those sort of things. No, listen, don't put, a, don't put a lid on God's power to say, hey, he can't overcome these terrible circumstances. That's what God does. And yet somehow in our society, and Honestly, I'm saying a whole lot of stuff that's not in my message. But in, in our society right now, we look at things and we go, hey, well, it's either this or that. And listen, when we as Christians are trying to walk through this, it feels like you're walking through landmines. And what I look at is I see that there are so many things that have a potential to just be so explosive. I just talked about one something that I don't think should be explosive. I think that should be kind of an open, shut deal. Like, hey, this is what we believe about life. But why do we have these things that are explosive? Give me, let me give you a couple ideas. You can write these down if you want. Uh, number one, I, I think that there's a lot of misinformation, and there's also a tendency for many of us to assume the worst about someone. Let me give you an example. It can be really difficult for us to figure out what's really going on in a situation. So what do, we, what do we ask ourselves? Can I trust what I'm reading? Like, does this person have an agenda? Like, there's, there's some of you that even when I talk about, is, is Matt trying to make us all Republicans? No, I'm not. I promise you that. Like, like what, what's going on behind here? Are they leaving out important information? You know, some people try to 
put an argument together. And so, you do. and so what happens? You think, well, there is a bunch of misinformation, and so I'm going to assume the worst about someone, right? Like, and we just naturally do this. And so what happens is we all get so skeptical, which skepticism isn't always a bad thing, but when we allow ourselves to just be consumed by the idea that everybody's lying <laughs> and there is no truth, like that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, 50 years ago, Joel told me these stats when we did this thing called, uh, didn't see this coming a while back. 50 years ago, do you know they surveyed the country and they said, who's the most trusted person in America? And you know who the number one pick was? A guy by the name of Walter Cronkite. You guys know who Walter Cronkite is? Anybody of you heard that? Any journalism people? Okay. Walter Cronkite was a news reporter. Like he did the evening news, I think for CBS. Am I right? Any, anybody back there? I think it was. Um, I wasn't here 50 years ago, so that's beyond me too. But you just think about like all these things. Could you imagine today in our society that if they polled our country on who the most trustworthy person in America is, do you think anybody would pick a news reporter? Like there's no chance. It doesn't matter who you like. Everybody's gonna be like, no, I don't think so. They actually did a poll on, uh, on who you trust the most for information about the virus. Like, right, like we, we live in this world right now that we've got some people who are in the camp of like masks are the worst thing in the world for you. They're making you sicker and they're gonna, they're gonna be worse than anything else. You got some people that think we should all be shut up and we should be locked down until the end of time. You've got other people that think we need to all get coronavirus, like herd immunity. And some people go, well, don't call it herd immunity, call it mass suicide if you're gonna do that. Like there's just all these crazy thoughts, right? So who do you trust the most about a virus? Here's this poll that they did. This was, this was one that was done in July, okay? They also did it in March. In March, they said the person that most people trust the most about the coronavirus was their governor. It was 70-some percent. You know what it was in March? 55%. They said, well, what about the CDC? In March, it was over 75%. In July, it was 54%. Still, the majority of America believed it. People asked about the president. Who do you, do you believe the president about the coronavirus? At the beginning in March, it was over 75%. You know what it was in July? 40%. They asked, what about national media? Do you believe what they say about the coronavirus? It was at 80% in March. You know what it was in July? 33%. Crazy, right? Like there's so much out there and so much misinformation and assuming the worst. So when we look at this, what's, what's a Christian's response? Like when we assume the worst about someone, how do, how do we do this? I think a good passage is Colossians 4, verse 6. You know what it says? It says that your conversation should always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. You know what he's talking about? He's saying that like, when we speak to one another, like we don't have to just go think, that, think the worst about someone. Like, let's be full of grace. Like that's what graceful means. Like let's find a way to, to actually have a conversation with one another. Like when someone posts something and you're going, uh, time out. 
I didn't know they believed that. What's this all about? I can't, I can't imagine. Why would they get to that? Well, let's have a conversation about it. Don't just assume the worst. Don't just think, oh, because you heard something about someone, it's 100% right, right? Like, what do we know? Here's the second one. Uh, this whole idea of my truth versus the truth, all right? This is something, I know you guys are gonna laugh at this, but when I was in college, uh, just go ahead and laugh, yeah, I guess. No, when I was, when I was in college, um, we used to have classes on what, the postmodern, that's what they called it, what the postmodern world was gonna look like. And we would sit in classes, okay, this is me, 18, 19, 20 years old. We'd sit in classes where we'd have a professor tell us, there's gonna come a day when people aren't gonna believe in absolute truth anymore. And it's coming, where people are gonna have their version of the truth, and they'll call it my truth, and there'll be different truths out there. And we would sit in class and be like, this guy's a nutcase. Like, there's no way, there's no way people are gonna believe that. We're like, two plus two equals four, right? This wall is black. Like, we, we all agree on these things. It's a, it's a very true thing. Like, there's truth. There's a world we all grew up in. The world you grow, you're growing up in, totally different. It's here. Like, there, there are people that believe in their truth, that they believe that truth changes for them, and there's this all-out assault on truth. Now, don't be deceived. There's a reason why. Because if, if your enemy can convince you that there is no single source on truth, what does that mean for the Bible? What does that mean for Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Like, don't, 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 think, oh, it's, it's no big deal. Like, no, I believe this, and this is true for me, and what's true for me not be, might not be what's true for you. It's not how it works. There is truth. Now, there can be your opinion, there can be your perspective that might be different, but there's only one version of, of genuine truth. And so how do we act as Christians when we, when we encounter truth like this? Or when we encounter people that have their version of truth, you know, like the, the whole phrase that got a whole bunch of people all, all messed up when Joe Biden said, we choose truth over facts. And they're like, time out, bud. Like, those are, those are kind of the same thing, usually. Um, but that, like, that's the mindset of a lot of people, right? Like, you can tell me that, but I'm going to tell you what my truth is. Like, you can tell me what the facts are, but I'm gonna tell you what my truth is. And, and before you think that I'm just attacking that side, like, one of, my, one of my favorite sermons I've ever heard is a guy named Albert Tate, and he's talking about that statement, truth over facts, and he's talking about how people get mad about it. And he's saying, hey, listen, this is the way the Bible teaches me. And he goes through and he says, the fact is that I'm, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of it. He does a whole lot of things from a black perspective that I didn't want to try to impersonate, especially on camera. That would be a bad thing. But he says, like, the truth, the facts are that it's bad for this, bad for that, all these different things that he's going through. And he says, but the truth is, and he goes to Scripture. He says, the fact is that it's a tough time to go through all this stuff. And he goes, but the truth is, and he goes to a verse in Scripture. So, like, I'm all for that. I think it's really good. You can look, look it up online. His is much better than my version of that. 
But here's the thing that the Bible teaches us. In Ephesians chapter four, we just went through a study on Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, you know what it tells us to do? To speak the truth, but how does it tell us to speak it? In love. Like there's a lot of people that try to hold this banner of the truth and they do it in the most unloving way that you could possibly do it. Like there's a lot of well-meaning people that try to speak truth to someone and yet they're hateful when they do it. That doesn't help anybody. We gotta speak the truth in love. Here's, here's a third uh, area where we have these interactions is full of landmines. Uh, I, think, I think the biggest one, and a lot of these go with it, is you just look at social media, right? Like you look around on what we face on social media, people make these absolute judgments and categorize each other as one camp or another. Like I'll give you a real easy example. When the, the Blackout Tuesday thing happened, right after George Floyd, you remember? And like everybody, hey, post a black square on your Instagram, on your social media, do all those things. I was in Colorado. My phone wasn't working. I knew nothing about it. Like literally had no service. And then I open up my phone once I get back and I've got all of these direct messages on Instagram, Twitter, all this stuff. And these people are blowing me up going, I can't believe you didn't support me. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I started asking our youth staff, I'm like, what happened? They're like, oh, well, there was this thing while you were gone. And they're saying all this stuff and I'm like, how in the world did you assume something about me because I, I didn't post something? Like, it, it was, it was, it was eye-opening for me. But you know how we do that? You know how we make these absolute judgments about people because of one little thing that they post? We gotta be careful about this. Listen, these are, there's landmines all around here that's real easy for us just to walk up and step on and all of a sudden blow something up. But you know the other side of it, and this has always been the challenge with social media, is we do it in the other way as well. Like, we see someone who, man, they just, they're so beautiful, they have the perfect life, all these sort of things. We judge people, I listened to a, uh, a Stephen Furtick sermon one time where he was talking about it, and the way he described it, he said that we judge people on their highlight reel versus our behind the scenes. When you see someone's social media, usually it is a filtered version of themselves. It's all these different pictures that they took and they finally found one they liked, or some of them are really good at using all the filters and all that stuff, and man, their life looks perfect. And you're looking at yourself and you're going, man, but I struggle with all these things. You're judging things backwards. You're looking at what someone's trying to put out as their best version, and you're judging yourself based upon your worst version. Like, don't do that. Don't, don't get lost in that trap. So what do we do? How do we make our way through this? So this whole idea that we, we hear what we want, right? Like last week, we went through this whole thing that we do what we want. I think one of the real dangers for us is when we live our lives in this way that we hear what we want to, right? We're not gonna look for what's really there. We're just gonna hear what we want and make make all kinds of generalizations and assumptions. So what do we do? Number one, how do we live during these tough times? We embrace what sets us apart. As the church, we embrace what truly sets us apart. The church by nature is countercultural. 
We weren't designed to blend in. We weren't designed to fit in. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So if you don't fit perfectly in a political party, good. You're a Christian. You're not supposed to. Like when, when Peter describes to us that our citizenship is in heaven and we eager, eagerly await a savior from there, when he describes that for us, it's the same thing C.S. Lewis describes when he says, when I find within myself a desire that this world cannot satisfy, the most logical decision or conclusion is that I wasn't made for this world. There's gonna be times on this earth that you feel comfortable and you feel good, but you will never feel at home. You weren't created for here. And so there's some Christians that like try to fit so well into America or into a political party and think that, man, this is what it's all about for me. And Jesus is like, hey, hold on. You're, you're a citizen of another kingdom. Embrace what sets you apart. Like don't look at it as a bad thing. Um, you look at the way that Jesus describes things we, uh, we're called to be a city on a hill, right? We're called to be light in the darkness. We're supposed to shine like stars. We are called to live holy and separate or set apart lives. When you see the church, anytime she's represented, especially in the book of Revelation, you know what it says? There's this moment where it says, come out from her and be set apart. The church is called to be different than the rest of the world. So embrace what sets you apart. You realize the Greek word for church, ekklesia, you know what it means? It means the called out ones. So let's be that. We're not supposed to blend in. You know, we used to, we used to use the phrase a long time ago where we were like, you know, Christians aren't called to be like in covert ops. We're not supposed to be like ninja Christians that you have no idea that we're here and then all of a sudden, man, we're gonna pop up and we're gonna, we're gonna kill you. We're gonna take you out and make you a Christian. No, that's not how it works. Like you're not, you're not called to blend in. There's, you are called to be different, to be set apart. Here's number two. Refuse to engage in fruitless arguments. You talk about how do we make it through this? How do we, how do we survive in this world that we're living in, don't allow yourself to get drawn off sides. Now, I know I see it a lot in like other people, but I see it among you guys too. But I, when I see a Christian who's engaging in an argument that doesn't matter, like what, what do you think's gonna happen? Like really? Do you think you're gonna win someone over because you saw someone arguing on social media? Like, oh, never thought of that. Now I'm, now I'm in, like I'm, I'm gonna vote different because you just got really upset and used all caps on, on Twitter. Like now I'm, now I'm gonna vote someone for someone else. Is that, is that how it works? No. Refuse, refuse to engage in fruitless arguments. When Paul talked to Timothy, okay, you open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter two, you'll see this. When Paul talked to Timothy, he's given him kind of his final words. Hey, this is how you should act. This is what you should do. And he tells him in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, avoid the evil desires of youth. Now, when we hear that, we think that that's something like what we talked about last week, right? Like that's looking at the stuff you shouldn't. That's doing the things you shouldn't. You know what he's actually talking about? 
He's talking about in those days, for a young man, you were thought really wise if you could have a philosophical argument with someone. And so they would go to the highest place in town, and they would have these philosophical disagreements, and everybody would argue their philosophies and do these things. And he says to him, says to him avoid those desires. And you know what it says in verse 23? It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Paul's telling Timothy, listen, as a Christian, don't get drawn off sides into this stuff. Don't get lost in the weeds thinking that this is the battle that you need to fight. For us, when we are more concerned with winning arguments than we are winning people to Jesus, we've lost our mission. Like when we get to that point and we go, oh, well, you know, I just, I just, I just gotta show this person what's right and wrong. You've lost it. When I did the, the one series, I preached from Luke chapter five, um, which is the same story in Mark chapter two about the four friends that, that bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, if any of y'all made it in there or if you know that story. When you look at that situation, those four friends did everything they can to remove barriers. Like they come up, the house is packed. They're like, oh, what are we gonna do? Well, let's climb on top of a roof. Most people would say a roof is a barrier to bringing someone to Jesus physically, right? What do they do? Let's tear a hole in it. Let's drop this man down. Over and over, they remove these barriers. And when you look at, at Scripture, you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians? He says that Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews. You know what our goal needs to be? That the only stumbling block that gets in the way of someone coming to Christ is Jesus himself, not us. When we get in the way of that, we've, we've messed up the process. When we've made something else, like it's, it's this theology where you have Jesus plus, right? Where I take Jesus and go, he's not enough by himself, so I need to add him to something. So I need to add him to my political party. And so we go, oh, well, this political party is representing Jesus. And when that happens, you know what happens? It becomes a stumbling block for people that don't agree with that political party. Why would you do that? Jesus is enough on his own, I promise you. You know, people, uh, people ask, like, how do, you, how do you defend Jesus? And there's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, I, I don't need to defend Jesus. He says, I don't, I don't, I don't need to show someone a lion's power or, or tell someone about a lion's power. You know, all I need to do is I just need to open up the cage and let him out. He says, with Jesus, like, he's, he's good on his own. He can do it. So you don't, you don't need to get involved in all these fruitless arguments. Like, do what you're called to do. There's a, there's a famous quote by Mahatma Gandhi from India. Uh, he was the leader of their peaceful revolution, all those sort of things. But Gandhi has this famous quote where he says, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. How does that make you feel? Like there's a lot of people that they say, hey man, when I read about Jesus and, 
and do this. This is where living according to the kingdom values are so important. You think about the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus calls us to, lead, to live. These are the things that are important to us or should be important to us. Don't get drawn into these foolish arguments. Number three, and this one kind of goes back to what we talked about last week, you've got to watch what you consume. Uh, it's the whole idea, garbage in, garbage out, right? Like if I'm filling my mind with all kinds of garbage, what do you expect to come out? Like if I'm having a constant diet of a bunch of junk on social media and all these political things, and all, what do you think is going to happen? If you're stressed out, if you're uneasy, if you're all this thing, well, what are you taking in? Are you just looking through filth on Snapchat over and over again? You're just wasting your time uh, following someone, some people on TikTok that like aren't good for you. They just put some bad thoughts in your head. Why are you doing it? You allow that stuff inside you. You consume that stuff. What do you think's gonna happen? So you know what it's time to do? Clean up your feed. We talked about it last week. Like maybe you need to unfollow some people. Maybe you need to take some time away. Maybe you need to put some, some uh, restrictions on what you're doing and what you're allowing yourself to, to, to be a part of. But you've got to find a way. Nicely done. Was that you? No, okay. <laughs> I thought it was me, honestly, because my phone literally, or my watch like buzzed right when that happened. I was like, do you have my phone? Oh, no, you're good. Anyways, here's the thing. It's all right, Wendy, we're all good. I won't, I, won't, I won't make any more of a public display of you than I already am doing, you know, so I'm just, no, I'm kidding. Anyways, but here's, here's the whole point. When you allow yourself to get drawn into all this stuff, what do you think is going to happen to you? Like, watch what you consume. Instead of getting involved and in starting fights on social media, instead of following all these things, instead of allowing yourself to, to, to do all this, be the Christian God calls you to be. Like, I know when I started off the, the sermon, we went through a lot of stuff about abortion. But here, here's the thing. Me standing on a stage is different than you having a conversation with someone that believes different than you. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. Not because you're trying to win an argument, but you're trying to help someone understand what, what truth is, what love is. You say, well, how are we supposed to live during a time like this? One last place. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1, and then we'll be done. But you look at the, the story of Daniel. Daniel was a young guy. Um, most people think that he was a teenager, maybe a little bit older than that, when he got brought into exile. So he was pretty much sold into slavery with all of his people, the entire nation of Israel. They were forced to be slaves in Babylon. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, you look at what they're, they're doing, and Daniel and three of his friends, you know, we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they had their Hebrew names. They come in. They were asked to be a part of the, the palace. So they were like the, the royal intern plan, right, so, or program. So you have all of these people, and they found these four guys, and they're the best looking, they're the smartest, all these things. It's Daniel and four of his friends. And so they get brought into this thing, and they were given Babylonian names, they were given Babylonian clothes, they were taught all of the Babylonian history, they were given Babylonian literature to read. They're like, we're going to turn you into good Babylonian boys. And they were even given food and drink from the king's table. Pretty important stuff. But I want you to see what it says in verse 8. 
It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, there's a couple things here that I think are pretty interesting. The first one, look at where Daniel draws the line. Like, he doesn't draw the line on, hey, don't give me a new name. He doesn't draw the line on, hey, I'm not going to take your Babylonian clothes. He, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. Where does he draw the line? He draws the line at taking food from the king's table. Why? Because he knew the way that he was supposed to be eating. They were under these dietary laws from, from Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14 that the blood has to be drained a certain way from an animal. These, this, these animals weren't that way. Beyond that, this wasn't kosher food. This was food that wasn't allowed for Israelites. And even though it looked good, it wasn't something he was supposed to eat. It wasn't something he was supposed to allow inside of him. And so he said, I, I can't do it. But look at even more. Why is this such a big deal? This was food that was sacrificed to idols, people that weren't God. And so Daniel says, I'm going to do something, but it's not just where he drew the line. Look at how he decides to conduct himself. Daniel doesn't make a huge issue about this. Like, he doesn't fire off an email. He doesn't say, hey, I'm, I'm going to quit. He doesn't, he doesn't gather his group of friends and go, guys, we got we to stand up against this. we got to do this. What does he do? It says, Daniel resolved not to do this, and so he asked the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. You catch the difference there? Like there's a way to do this right. There's a way to, to do those things. And you look at what God does through Daniel. God honored Daniel, blessed Daniel. We have a whole book of the Bible about it all throughout, of his, all throughout his life. Why? Because Daniel was willing to be obedient to what God called him to do and not just blend into the culture around him. Doesn't mean that he didn't allow himself to ever be involved in anything. He, listen, he had his name changed, he wore the clothes, he was in the palace, he did all those things, but there were certain parts where he says, no, 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 this is what makes us different, and I'm willing to do this. And what I would challenge you with is, man, we, we hear what we want, right? Like. We can, we can do whatever we want to do. We can, we can listen. We can draw conclusions. We can do this. Let's go beyond that as Christians. And let's be willing to actually work to understand people, to love people, to embrace, our, embrace what makes us different as Christians, and let's win people to Jesus. Even in a time like this, I promise you, the church can advance and Jesus can do what only he can do. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories and tag us at Dulas Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.